This past Sunday, we uh, completed our study in the book of James. And I've been thinking for a long time, what's next? Uh, could go to any book in the Bible, and every book in the Bible will eventually uh, preach Christ. I know that. But there's been something that's been on my heart for uh, a good while now particularly as we came to the end of James and we talked about the, the fact that people can drift away from the truth. People who are in church, part of our fellowship of believers. And, uh, and so I, I, I wanted to go back. I didn't know exactly how we would handle it. Still don't, totally. But I knew that I wanted to do something about what are the foundations of our faith? What are the things, for example, that, that lead our leaders so that we can make the right kinds of decisions? What things are, are important in this book? I mean, come on, the Bible is a big book. There's a lot there. So what are the things, when we boil it down, that we can say that as, as leaders, and hopefully we can help you to see and to say, these are the things that are vital. These are the things for which we will go to the mat. And so we're embarking on a study um, that will take some time, I don't know how long, but a study of the five solas, and I'll explain all of that in just a minute. Don't get lost in the Latin language there. And then we will segue from that because that is the foundation of understanding the gospel. And then we will move into one of the oldest creeds from history, the Apostles' Creed, as a template for how we look at the things that are important to us. Now, we're going to read a passage of Scripture that just gets us into this, asks some questions, and it's about the gospel. I think that if I looked hard enough, I could find all five solas in this passage of Scripture. It's found in Acts chapter 8, and we begin reading with verse 26. You follow along as I read through this, and then we will pray, and we will move right into our teaching. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place, and he rose and went. I'm always struck by Philip's immediate obedience to the Word of God. There was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace. This guy was high up in the court of the queen. She was the queen of the Ethiopians who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship. And he was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah, the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join his chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked. You know, it's always good to engage somebody in conversation. And when you hear them reading the Bible, this might not be a bad question to ask. Do you understand what you are reading? Now, let me give you a little caveat. If you're going to ask that question, you need to have at least a minimal understanding of the word yourself. The Ethiopian official said, how can I unless someone guides me? 
and he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now, the passage of Scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. Who's he talking about there? And like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth in his humiliation. Justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this about himself or someone else? And I love this. Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ. Father, I thank you that Jesus is literally all over the pages of this book, I thank you for the times in the history of the church when the church has drifted and there have been men you have raised up to call the church back to be reformed according to the word of God. And I pray that this would be such a time in our study of these important essentials, these foundational truths of scripture for Heritage Baptist Church. Lord, we want to lift up those in our midst who are going through All kinds of situations, too many to name, but I will name at least a couple. For David Crowell, we pray for him and the treatment that he'll be having coming up very soon. For Melissa McLeod, that's Jim and Sherry Jackson's daughter. Lord, we pray that tomorrow as she goes through the test, they would determine the things that they can do to help her with this heart condition. So, Father, we give you ourselves today. Help us to be good students of your word and to be truly theologians who please you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever heard the phrase, I know I have, that goes something like this? I don't need theology, just give me Jesus. No, I understand. Let me say this. I understand sometimes where this kind of sentiment comes from. Somebody who's disillusioned with the church that has become nothing more than a religious institution that is cold and lifeless and theology is used as a hammer so many times. Many times it's bad theology and I understand that, but there's a danger in that statement. Here's another one that I hear from even prominent preachers today. We have no creed but Christ. A creed is a system or a set of beliefs. We have no creed but Christ. Now that sounds good on the surface, but do you understand that that too can get you into some problems? Which Christ are you referring to that you say you want to follow? Is it the Christ of the Mormons? Is it the Christ of the Jehovah's Witnesses? Is it the Jesus? They don't look at him as the Christ, but is it, is it the Jesus of Islam? Some years back, um, we were visiting my parents out in New Mexico. I was a seminary student. That tells you how long ago it was. And uh, uh, on a Saturday morning, we were sitting around, and there was a knock at the door, and I go to the door, and two ladies are at the door. And they begin to speak, and they say they're from the Watchtower Society, and they're out just sharing people, 
with, with people about Jehovah. They have some literature that they wanted to give to me. Now, I, I knew better than to ask them in, but I did want to engage them in some conversation, and it turned out to be very interesting. And, and, and one of them, we were talking about Jesus. And I said, well, I'm a follower of Jesus. And this one lady said, well, we are too. And I said, the Jesus that I follow is the one that is described in John chapter 1 and verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. And she stopped me and she said, Now, you know that in the Greek, you know, that's always kind of a red flag. Watch out when... when, when even preachers sometimes will bombard you with in the Greek. And she said, in the Greek, it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. Now, in a moment of weakness, yeah, I, I, but, but I, wa- I wanted to make a point. I, I probably had an attitude. That's what I'm sharing with you. I said, you know, I just happen to have a Greek New Testament with me. They had no idea I was a seminary student. Taking first-year Greek, I didn't know anything, but I knew that I had a Greek New Testament, and I knew enough words. And so I I literally went and got it and handed it to the lady purposely, and I said, would you read that to me in the Greek? And she looked at it, and I said, oh, oh, let me turn it the right way around. (laughs) I have to confess that that was not really nice. But, but I, I started trying to make the point, and, and if, if you get into a study of, about the indefinite articles and all the rest of that, it's very clear that the translation that you and I are using, not the New World translation of the Jehovah's Witnesses, now bless their hearts, listen, they were very sincere, and at least they're out doing something, but what they're doing is wrong. So here's the question that I have when somebody just says to me, no creed but Christ, but Jesus Christ, I have to always ask the question, which Jesus is it that you're following? At Heritage, we consider ourselves to be evangelical. Evangelical simply means, it comes from the word that means gospel. The definition of a an evangelical, there, there are four basic, you don't have to write these things down. We're going to be coming back to all of these things. I just want you to get this packed into your mind and heart today, all right? Overview. An evangelical, so if you're an evangelical, you're a person who believes that the Bible is the highest authority for what you believe, okay? As an evangelical, you believe that it's important for you to personally engage and encourage non-Christians to trust Christ as their Savior. That's an evangelical. Now, these days, evangelicals can be defined in political terms. We're not about that. We're about the classic definition. Evangelicals are people. If you're an evangelical person, that means you believe that Jesus' death on the cross is the only sacrifice that can remove the penalty of their sin. And finally, if you're an evangelical, that means you believe that those who trust in Jesus Christ alone as their Savior and Lord receive God's free gift of eternal salvation. So, 
How did you do? Are you an evangelical? What is the state of evangelicalism? That's a big word. In this country today. Ligonier's ministry does, and they've done it for the past uh, six or eight years. Every two years they do this survey. It's a very simple survey. In fact, you can go online and take the survey. And I think it's interesting. Now, now if this, this survey that they do, it's called the State of Theology in the Evangelical Church. So here we are. And I want you to ask this question. You don't have to answer out loud whether you agree or disagree, but we're going to see some, some things that indicate the state of the church in America today. Here's the statement. Jesus is the first and greatest being created by God. How many, what, what percentage of this church would be allowable to say that you agree with that statement? Let me give you how many agree in America, in the American Evangelical Church, that's churches like ours, 78% agree with the statement, Jesus is the first and the greatest being created by God. Now, a casual look at that? And you may think, what's wrong with that? That's exactly what Jehovah's Witnesses believe. And if you do not have, I'm going to use another word now, a solid Christology, a solid belief in who Jesus is, and we're going to get to that when we study Christ alone, then how are you going to speak to and engage and help? Not do like I did and just try to win an argument, but how will you help someone who does not believe that Jesus is God? Or that the Trinity is real? How are we going to help our students who are going to be, and some of them already have gone off to college, where they're going to be bombarded with every kind of ology under the sun if we don't ground them in the truth? Here's another question. God accepts the worship of all religions, including Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. Now, again, I ask you, how many would we say would be a, a percentage that would be allowable in this church? We realize that there might be some immature Christians who would get this wrong. Uh, maybe. But students, even you, I, I, everybody all the way around ought to know the answer to this. God accepts the worship of all religions? But look at this. A whopping 73% of evangel even evangelicals in America agree with that statement. Here's another one. The Bible is the highest authority for what I believe. Now, I would say 100% of our people would, would say yes to that. Look at this. 62% agree with that. Folks, if just over half of you, I'm serious, if just over half of you said that you held the, Bi the, the Bible as your highest authority and the other half did not, I would quit after 14 plus years of being your pastor. But now here's the real, here's the real thing that we need to see. 62%, that's still a majority of people who believe in that. 
But then they come back with this. The Bible, like all sacred writings, now this is specific to a particular age group, and I want you to see what has happened in the church and what is going to continue to happen unless we put the brakes on and begin to come back and teach essentials. The Bible, like all sacred writings, contains helpful accounts of ancient myths, but is not literally true. This, this survey is, this part of the survey is from 18 to 34 year old, okay, in that age group. This is incredible, over half. In that age group, in evangelical churches, that's up. The trend is going up. It was 46% in 20. 16. Now, let me just ask that seriously, would you be satisfied with those percentages at Heritage? Dads, moms, grandparents, would you be dis- would you be satisfied with those kinds of percentages with your kids or your grandchildren or our students? Do we, and I'm I'm saying we, not just the church in America, but for sure the church in America, do we need a reformation in our churches? Do we? And do we need an awakening in the land? Then the way to accomplish it is to get back to the gospel and to the sound doctrines of the faith. We meet on Wednesday nights. I don't know that all of you know that because all of you are not here on Wednesday nights. I know that you have other things to do. If you don't have other things to do, we've got a full slate of things going on. We've got Awana. A lot of people are involved in that huge ministry. We've got men's Bible studies, women's Bible studies. I lead a group uh, that's kind of, uh, they don't go to either one of those. They come into my group, and we're meeting with Rich Smith, and we're doing a study on engaging the culture. And one of the men in, in the group, we were talking about that. It's, very, it's a great discussion. In fact, Rich can't get through the material. So many people are talking. It's just it's great. Not that he can't get through the material. It's just great about the discussion. But one of the men brought up something I thought, man, that is, that is good. And he said the slide in our, in our country has taken place because, number one, The church has not taken a stand. Now, I'm not talking about a political stand necessarily. Sometimes that will be included. I'm talking about a biblical stand. And then he added something else. He said the second factor, I believe, is the breakdown of the family. So as a mom or a dad, this stuff that we're teaching is not just theoretical and theological. It's something that will affect your life and how you teach your children to prepare them for the inevitable going off and facing a world that is going to be hostile to their worldview. Speaking of, what is a worldview? Let me quote R.C. Sproul here. I think it's good. I'll I'll wait until we get to the uh, theology portion. Let me just say something about worldview. How many of you have heard the term worldview? How many, okay, how many of you have a worldview? How many of the uh, the non-Christians that you are around in everyday life 
also have a worldview. You're right. Everyone has a worldview. This is another perspective of what we've been talking about. You have one. Everybody's got one. If a creed is a system of beliefs, it's something you believe, a worldview is a little bit different. It determines how you live. And sometimes there's not a match. Now, I want you to follow this. There are a lot of us who say, I believe this, but my worldview puts me down here in the way I live. Do you understand what I'm saying? I didn't see a lot of heads nod. This is interactive preaching. Okay. In other words, there's a gap between what my creed is, what I believe, and how I'm living out what I say I believe. That's your worldview. What is a worldview? It's a grid through which you see all of life. Let me put another uh, picture, word picture. It is like a pair of glasses through which you see life. And if you don't have the right prescription for those glasses, then everything that you see will be distorted. And that's why you run into people that you share with, that you you interact with every day, and you start talking about your faith in Christ. Maybe you start talking about a sermon that you heard or something that you read in the Bible, and there is a clash. When somebody rebuts that, that's because they also have a worldview. They don't have a biblical worldview, and that's why their lens is distorted in what they're seeing. You see how important this is? Maybe in something like witnessing. Uh, we talked about witnessing in our ABF class today. We're doing the disciple shift. Everybody in ABF, did you do that today? Went over the circles, the circle? And so we talked just a little bit about witnessing, but one of the things that I have found very effective in, in, in sharing Christ, people will naturally migrate toward talking about spiritual things. I, I don't care where you are. They will naturally migrate toward that either what they believe or what they don't believe and what they hate. But they'll talk about spiritual things. So one of the questions I like to ask is, what do you believe? I'm trying to get at a person's worldview. How does that person see life? And and, and it really doesn't matter. I, I want to show genuine interest in whatever they say. And if they say, well, my worldview, my my belief is that Think of something outlandish. The, the moon is made out of green cheese. I'm not going to blow them off. I'm just going to say, well, that's, that's really interesting. But then a follow-up question is this, and this is, this is what we are going to be talking about for the next while. I ask them, why do you believe that? Do you know that surprises a lot of people? they're kind of speechless. Why do you, the moon is made out of green cheese. Why do you believe that? Did you read some scientific journal that said that? Or did, was there some teacher that was influential and that's why you believe that? Or, or did you, and I just asked them, prime the pump a little bit. A lot of people have never considered why they believe what they believe. And then whatever they say, you, you, you don't affirm, but you, at best, sometimes all you can say is, that's interesting. 
but that at some point, if they're polite and if they're civil, and if you're having a conversation and not a one-way kind of, of, of talk here, then they're going to say, now tell me what you believe, and that's your chance. And you can go back to the things that we're going to be talking about. I believe that there is only one way to God. It doesn't matter how you start this. You, you get the conversation rolling. Well, why do you believe that? Because I believe that the Bible is my authority. And if they say, well, I don't believe the Bible. Well, I assume that. I'm not trying to talk you out of yours. I'm just sharing with you what you ask. You ask me what I believe and why I believe it. Now, this leads to another point on your outline. Every person in this room, I don't care how young you are, or if you're engaged, okay, I'm looking around at some younger ones here. If you're engaged with Pastor Marty, and you're listening to what I'm saying, I know that some of what I'm saying is doing this, okay? But I want you to hear what I'm about to say, and I want you to write it down. Every one of you in this room is a theologian. Theologian. Ask your parents to help you spell it. You say, well, what does that mean? Well, it's, think of the word, if you divide it into theos is a word that means God, logos is a word that means word. So it's, it's, it's a words about God. It's a study of God. Everybody has a belief about who God is. Theology is simply the study of God. Now, children, do you study about God? You do. So you're a theologian, Ezra. Now, here's the thing, does it, 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 This is why when people say, I don't want theology, just give me Jesus. They've just made a theological statement. The question is not, and sometimes people are put off by that. No, 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 we'll let the preachers and the people that study all the time and all the rest of that. You're the theologian, Pastor Marty. No, 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 you're a theologian. The only question is, are you a good one or a bad one? Because the center, listen to this, and we'll talk about this later. This is a, 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 a rule. The center of your theology will determine the object of your faith. I'm, I'm going to flesh that out later. If, that, if you're going, huh? That's okay. The center of your theology determines the object of your faith, and that's why your theology needs to be good. I don't pretend that I'm going to answer every question that you have when we talk about these kinds of things, but we're going to go through them. Hopefully, they will cause some really good discussions. Let's give an overview of what we're going to be talking about. Okay? This is quick. About 1,400 years ago, uh, the church was in a bad place. It was in a dark place. People were basically taught that they couldn't come to God on their own. They had to come through priests and popes and magistrates and all the rest of that. They had to do certain things, jump through certain hoops in order to have eternal life. They had to do the sacraments. They, they had to... Because there was a purgatory that people went to, they had to have people pray them out of purgatory or pay them out of purgatory. Back then, it's, it, it, but by the way, the Catholic Church then is not exactly, although I'm not saying it's like that now, so don't go out and, and start being hostile toward Catholics, please. I mean that. 
But back then, they did a thing called indulgences where you could literally buy your way out of hell. You, 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 you could have a signed piece of paper. In fact, that's what made the monk Martin Luther so angry when he saw this guy debauched and drunk and all the rest of that. He said, and he, he was a church member, and he said, what are you doing? He said, I've got my indulgence right here. I've paid so I can go out and sin to my heart's desire. Now, we don't do that in Baptist life, do we? We have other kinds of things, hoops through which we jump. We'll talk about that in a while. So let, let's look at the five solos really quickly because we're going to skip over this great quote from R.C. Sproul about theology. I want to get to the solas before we get out of here. Five solas. Now, this is Latin. Do they even offer Latin anymore? I took Latin in high school. I'm glad they, they offer it in some places because it's, it's so helpful. But this is sola or solo. Everybody recognizes that word. Who's the most famous person with that name? Han Solo. He goes it alone. Okay, that's what it means. So every one of those, here, don't get lost in the Latin. Here's what they mean. And again, we're going to come back and look at this. If you do studies, these are all over the map in terms of order. I've put them in this order. I may change the last two for emphasis. But here's, here's what the Reformers said. Look, the church does not save. There's only one way of salvation, alone or only. And they said we are saved by grace alone. God's grace. You cannot earn, I don't care what you do, you cannot earn your own salvation. I'm reminded of the, 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 the young man who came up to Jesus. What good deed must I do to have eternal life? You can't. And that's one of the problems because deep down human nature is convinced that there is a way to save ourselves. And the reformers came out and said, no, it's by grace alone. God's grace alone. We are saved by grace alone through faith alone. Hey, let me, you're trying to write these down, so let me jump to some scriptures. Saved by grace alone. Look at these scriptures. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, 9 Romans 3, 23 and 24. Saved by grace alone. Th those, those words are important. By grace through faith. And I'm amazed at how ignorant that I was. Same verse, Ephesians 2, 4 and 5. Same chapter. We are saved by grace through faith. Okay? My first, I, I mentioned seminary a minute ago. Uh, my first um, semester in seminary, we had to write all these position papers. And I wrote a, a paper that I thought was a really good paper. There's that pride coming through again. And I got it back and there was a red mark around something. Because I had said we are saved by faith. One of the most common errors, I thought, wow, I don't remember. Now, probably probably my pastors taught that to me when I was growing up. I don't remember it. And so you go out, and do you see how that one little tweak can get us going down a road that we really don't want to go down because we're not saved by faith. People talk like that all the time. Well, I just have faith. No, it's by grace through the agency of faith that we are saved. 
I think two of the most amazing words in the Bible are, but God, when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but God made us alive together with him. Now, that faith has to have an object. I said a minute ago, the center of your theology determines the object of your faith. What is the center of our theology at Heritage? The gospel of Jesus Christ crucified for our sins, buried, raised again on the third day. That's, That's the focus. So we are saved by God's grace through faith. Now remember, if you read that, that, that scripture in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, that's all a gift from God. He gives it. It's not of ourselves. But we have to place that faith in Jesus Christ. We're saved by grace through faith in Christ. Now, the, the word solo goes with it, and it's very important. We're saved by grace alone. Catholic Church back then taught, no, it's grace plus. They also thought that it was faith plus. They taught salvation by grace through faith. They just said you've got to add other things to it. And that's why the Reformers said no. The Bible says it is grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone. According to Scripture alone. That's the gospel. Christ crucified for our sins according to the scriptures. Buried, raised again on the third day according to the scriptures. What is our standard? It's the scriptures. If our focus is the gospel of Jesus Christ, then our authority is the word of God. And then there's one, there's one more thing that I will mention. It's the fifth sola, and it was always for this. What's the point? The point is that it's all for God's glory. The gospel is all about the glory of God. What is the chief end and purpose of man? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. 1 Corinthians 10.31 and Romans 11.36 say that. So we must believe that that's the gospel. That's what we believe. Again, that's foundational. The leaders have determined we will go to the mat for that teaching. If you're here and you believe you can be saved by anything else added to that, you put the plus sign, that does not agree with what we would say the Bible reveals about that. Now, we're going to add some more things to that because that doesn't flesh out a lot of the other details. And so I'm just going to read through this. This is what we're going to break apart and go through after we go through the solas. It's called the Apostles' Creed. There are other creeds, statements of beliefs. But this is one of the oldest and one of the simplest, and so we're going to break that down. I I thought, you know, it'd be good. We've done this before with the Apostles' Creed. Can you read that? I would like you to read this out loud with me. This is an affirmation of certain basic doctrines that are fundamental to our faith. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified for our sins according to the Scriptures, died and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day He rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, 
the holy Christian church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And here's why this study is important. Three things. Just, just, just mull on these. You don't even have to write them down. They're not on the screen. First thing, and it should be obvious, we've been talking about it, to help us guard, to help us guard against error. These students, these kids, this flock is an incredible trust. We must guard against and correct the theological confusion and drift in the church. You go online, you see that Ligonier's State of Theology study. It is, it reveals a lot of confusion. And I'm not talking about the general public. There, there's a part of it that has the general public. I'm talking about evangelical churches just like ours. And while a lot of Americans can give correct answers to the Bible questions, at the same time, they would say their beliefs are a matter of personal opinion. So th that's the first reason we do it, to help guard against and correct the theological confusion and drift. Second thing, to help our own personal growth to maturity and our worship of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen. We've said this before. Worship. We're not talking about just the, the music. That's part of it. But let me just use this as an illustration. The worship that goes on here is based on good, solid, biblical theology and not emotions. And if you want to be a passionate worshiper of God, you will be a good theologian. You will live with a sense of urgency as you read and take in God's Word. The ultimate goal of this series is not to pack your heads with knowledge, but to get your hearts and your lives into a frame of worship every day and especially as we come together on Sunday. Then the third reason is this, to help us strengthen our families, our church, and to impact society. Every year we send students off to college, and almost every year it's, it's, just, it's, it's, it's just about inevitable that somebody craters in college. And I've wondered at times, did we not ground them And I know the parents getting ready to send kids off to college, is that, how do you feel about that? Is there fear or is there excitement? Is there excitement because they, they are grounded and they will be able to defend their faith at least to themselves and impact their culture for the world? I think I've told this story before. It's a true story. I heard it from a couple of Mormons that I had engaged in conversation. It was a it was, a really, it was a good conversation. They didn't come to faith in Christ, but I was curious, and so I, I, I knew their strict living um, 
And I, I said, are there, any, uh, are there any places that are off limits for you that you can't go to? He said, oh, yeah. One of them said, yeah, they're called red zones. I said, really? And he said, yeah, yeah. And I said, well, what would be included in, in those red zones? And so named off, you know, like bars and, you know, cert- certain other things that you would imagine. And uh, I said, are there, are there any other red zones? He said, yeah. Several years ago, this has been some years back, they said several years ago, there was a big red zone in Memphis, Tennessee. I said, really? Tell me about it. I said, well, there was this, uh, this preacher that lived in Memphis, Tennessee, and whenever uh, our Mormon missionaries would go to his house, he would invite them in. And there were so many Mormon missionaries that were falling away from Mormonism and coming to evangelical faith, that they put a red zone around this preacher's house named Adrian Rogers. Wouldn't it be cool if the Mormons and the JWs, they had a red zone around your house? Don't go there. Those people are locked into the Bible. They'll convert you. That's why we're looking at foundations for our faith and why it is so vitally important. Father, I pray that we've talked about the gospel today, and I pray that if there is someone here today who has not trusted in Christ alone, and they haven't gone to your grace alone, or they haven't believed alone, they've added something to it, maybe baptism, maybe giving, maybe church membership. Maybe they haven't believed in Christ alone. Oh God, how I pray that you would just just drive into their hearts the truth and that you would help them to see the truth that it's Jesus alone. I can't work. I can't earn it. I'll just have to trust in Jesus Christ as Savior, the Jesus of the Bible, the Son of God the incarnate Son of God who came and died a substitutionary death for sinners. Lord, I pray that you would hammer that into anyone who is not in a saved condition today and they would come to faith in Christ. I pray for those of us who know you, that you would enlighten us as we work our way through this study. It's going to be rich with your word, rich in concepts that will help us. I know, Lord, so teach us as we work our way through it. Now, help us to respond in worship as we leave this place, in true, heartfelt, urgent, passionate worship, and then go out into a world that is as dark as it was 500 years ago to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with those who don't know Him. I pray this in His name. Amen. Would you stand?